0: Senator Sam Dastyari, thank you for submitting to this involuntary interrogation.
1: It's, uh, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) It's a bad idea. It's one of many bad ideas that involve me.
0: Trust no
2: one. The level of sedition, anti-authority behaviour and advertiser unfriendly thought crime has reached record levels, especially amongst Australia's elites.
0: Treason.
2: Luckily, the men and men of The Chaser have been commissioned by Border Force to conduct interrogations and sort out the subversives from the Patriots.
0: Betrayal.
2: In conjunction with ASIO and the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Protocols, this is extreme vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser.
0: Now, Charles, don't freak out. We've got someone really famous and influential, very powerful, actually, to we interrogate today. We've got Bill Clinton. N- no, but someone who's also known a little bit of scandal in his time. It is Senator Sam Dastyari of New South Wales. Sam Dastyari? never heard of him. Did Surely. Just... I mean, look, he, Labor power broker, used to run the party in New South Wales, got in a bit of trouble with the whole China th- Funding thing, Shanghai Sam, they Sam. call him. Oh, wait a minute. Is he that guy on Facebook? Is he the
2: YouTuber who makes all those funny, weird videos?
0: Yeah, he did one with Pauline down not long ago. Oh, I love him.
2: So he's a senator as well, is he? He is. That's his main gig, oh, Charles. He's I, th-
0: a... I thought he was a sort of comedian. Well, I think he thinks he's a sort of comedian, but uh, he's actually a senator. And here's the thing. Uh, right now, Peter Dutton's given us the orders. We've got to bring him down. He's too powerful. Mm. He's threatening the government. So, really, we can't afford to stuff this up. Mm. We'll probably stuff this up. We're going to definitely stuff this up.
2: Can we start with your full name, please?
1: Yeah. So, it's Sahand. Sam is the anglicized. Dastiari. So, Sahand is the name of a mountain in Iran, which is where I was told I was conceived on. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I know, really, that's right. Yeah, no, there's nothing better than the thought of your parents doing it on a mountain.
0: That's like Brooklyn Beckham. Well,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. I was, I'm worried about kids with names like Apple. That's what worries me. So Tell us about Dastiari being made so, up. Dastiari, surnames are a new thing in Iran. So my grandfather came up with Dastiari, which means helping hand, which I thought was very perfect, so we'll go into politics. Mm. When one of the Shahs of Iran decided that they wanted to kind of westernize and anglicize, they decided that everyone needed a surname. So we just went out and started making them up. A lot of people have like the surname of the village they're from or wherever they're from. And we've just got a complete fake one. So really I'm just I'm just like a border force wet dream right now.
2: Mm, yeah. The well, records are very unclear. I, I looked up Estes in the white pages. You sure you're not Solome
1: Destiari? That's my cousin. is my cousin. Because um, uh, I've been sending a lot of hate mail. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, I'm sure you have. Sure ever, she gets So she cops all the hate mail. She cops all the racial abuse because everyone thinks they're getting me Estes in the phone book. He's actually my cousin who just cops all the racist tirades and I just kind of ignore it. I, I'm led to understand that you actually collect all all that mail. I am such a loser. I collect hate mail. It's my hobby. Right. Uh, Because I'm after the perfect piece of hate mail. So the perfect piece of hate mail is handwritten, (laughs) verbose, uh, all in capitals, with random words underlined, but, and especially those who kind of go, screw this, I'm going to use the border and start kind of, because you guys are border force, Hmm. and start going into the margins and they start writing and they start writing on the envelope as well, and, um, it's about finding that, you know, that one kind of perfect piece of hate. I, I have, though, I was explaining this to a friend of mine who's an advertising executive, Dean Madigan, who said to me, oh, why don't you start collecting all the nice things people write to you? And I said, yeah, I'm going to start a box of love.
0: And, uh, and someday I'll have something to put in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got some pearlers at the chaser, actually. You guys pick on kids. Why don't you pick on someone your own size? Come to King Cross <laughs> and ask for animal. <laughs> We never did <laughs> i get a lot
1: of up um, See, so the people that get the worst in politics the women get the worst stuff right i get all the kind of anti Muzo stuff um and that so i get some bad stuff right? a lot of death threats kind of dumb death threats i've only once or twice had someone of them, oh, that's a bit kind of dicey um a lot of like people like mail me bacon like oh yeah you've really showed me you sent me bacon right i'm a non-practicing muslim i drink more than anyone I know. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, no, not a piece of bacon. And they're like, you know, I will eat that. <laughs> um, you know, thinking that they're being... Do you eat the bacon that they Not that they send you? me, no. No, it's normally off. I assume it is anyway. Um, but, you know, you kind of get those kinds of things which is just mostly just kind of pathetic. Uh, you get occasional bits that are, yeah, kind of freak you out. And then you get people who write like poems to you and that, that are like full of hate. Like, considered. Like... It's that's, that's, that's sort of lovely in a way, isn't it? Yeah, but like like considered hate, you know, like you know like oh. limericks about you know why we should kill muzzos, you know, like you know the kind of thing. And um, not a lot of things rhyme with
0: Dastiari.
1: No Ferrari, no, know. No.
0: <laughs> you know. Look, Sam it, this is fascinating. We, we just need to have a quick chat, just a moment.
1: Sure,
0: Charles. I think we're gonna have to get the boss involved in this one.
2: Yeah. And, look, I think um, we're gonna have to sort of. See, see where we should take this. because so This sort of feels like above our pay grade. Stakes doesn't? are very
0: high, aren't they? I mean, on yeah. the one hand, made-up date of birth, made-up name, mm. both parts, yeah. um, Iranian background but links with the US. This guy could either be the most dangerous person in Australia or very powerful. Yeah. And I know it seems unlikely, but if Labor get back in, mm. it could make things very difficult for us.
2: Yeah, well, I think we can depend on Bill Shorten to stuff at the election,
0: though, so... All right, let's go and see Andrew Hansen.
2: Mr Hansen... What should we do about this guy?
0: Dastiari,
2: that comedian guy
0: from Twitter. Yeah, his media skills are way better than ours. He's funnier than us. And frankly, I think he's more familiar with the dark side of getting things done than we are.
2: Well, he is mates with Paul Howes. Why don't you tie him up and pour water on his head until he vows never to appear on Q&A again? Chinese water torture. We're allowed to do that? Well, of course we are. But look, Peter Dutton rewrote that part of the Constitution last week.
0: But what if he becomes Prime Minister someday? (laughs) There's no chance of that. You obviously haven't read the new constitution. Of China, I mean. Oh, well, then we'd all be fucked. Okay, well, will you take full responsibility if things go wrong? Uh, no. You won't? Of course you won't, Charles, yeah. We're the cannon fodder in all this. Well, I'll blame you, I reckon. You're the cannon fodder to me. Don't forget that. Oh.
2: Okay. Oh, shit, I've got to go. My boss is on the other line. Um... hello mr murdoch hello yeah <laughs> look I'm, I'm sorry about channel 10 yeah we are trying to line you up with something else
0: um thank you mr hanson sir it is always an honor how does sbs sound it's got better ratings i'm actually glad to be,
1: be with you guys today because you know i can't go in the u.s like that's where i get screwed years ago i went on this state department trip right? And these are like the old kind of CIA trips, that's kind of effectively what they were, right? They're all these kind of young, up-and-coming politicos, mm. you know, if you're uh you know, and the idea back in the day, and this is going back to the 70s and 80s, or probably more in the 60s, was they take you over to the US and they show you like military installations and nuclear weapons and, you know, like as much as they can show you, to instill a sense of like young, in young political future leaders, sense of US domination and might, right? And, you know, they picked me because I was the head of the youth wing of the party, you know, head of Young Labor. I was that cool. And, <laughs> and, um, and so those programs still exist, but now they're just political exchanges. But you go over there and you get paid temporarily by the State Department, and you get this special visa called a J visa, and you get this special, like, short period of time, you're on their payroll. So I go to the U.S. after this, and I rock up. And they go to me, they get my passport, right? And they look at it and they go, okay. Uh, it says you're born in, you know, Iran. You're traveling on Australian passport. That's weird enough, right? That's a couple of red flags, right? Then the, starts, the buzzers start going off. They take me to this other room. They, start, they go, oh, you've come up on the State Department database. And what they can't decide is whether I'm like a terrorist or a spy. This is the profile. Young, single, male, village in northern Iran, comes up as a temporary employee of the State Department at one point, which, you know, God knows why or how they're kind of paying me, traveling to the U.S., with meetings in Washington on a, on a Western passport. Like, this is every... And they start asking all these questions, you know, like, oh, you know, who packed your bags? And you're going kind of to say, I don't know, it was Abdullah or Ali, everyone at the mosque is there, you know. <laughs> you know. So, if I go to the US, I have a, I have a number, right? I have a FIN number. So, there's a special room at LAX, right? That if I'm leaving America on my passport, I have to go and register out of America, and because of the Patriot Act, Right. Uh, the, the best piece—they give you this piece of paper that goes, "Oh, you've been pulled up by the Patriot." I said, "I'm not an American Patriot." Then I realised, "Oh,
0: that's the point." <laughs> so there's <a> special <laughs> they probably room. don't like humour either.
1: So, no, no, they—they they, they love the jokes. They love all the yeah, the, the halal jokes. They go wild at the US airports. Um, so there's a special room you've got to register out of. Last time I was there, I'm, I'm going there and I'm registering out, and I'm standing beside this like guy who's dressed kind of like a young kind of Middle Eastern professional. Turns out to be a Jordanian businessman. You know, kind of looks yeah. You know, Middle, like you know, like any kind of walk in Sydney really. And there's about fifteen teenagers up the front, a big group of teenagers. And he comes to me and goes, Oh, look at them. Their surname's all Bin Laden. They're you know, they're part of the... you know, the Bin Ladens are a huge American kind of thing clan as well, right? He goes, Oh, they're Bin Ladens. He's thinking, I know what this guy's thinking, he goes, Look at those fucking terrorists. And I felt like thinking to myself, mate, they
0: think we are them, right? Yeah, yeah. There is no distinction. You're we're all in the, the same same, uh, We're
1: in the same room for
0: a reason. That's why know? it's called an axis of evil. Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: right. That's
0: right. Join yeah, right. the dots that aren't there.
2: Um, but be, in the book, you actually say that it was at that moment that you sort of became like. Before then, you didn't actually particularly care
1: about people's loss of civil liberties. It was no, at that it moment. changes you. Yeah. So I, you know, when I hit the wall and kind of had a bit of time of self-reflection and, and mellowing kind of when I, when I had, when I resigned, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, I actually spent a bit of time you kind of, you kind of realize all these things and the moments that matter. I mean, my idea of civil liberties, you know, you kind of start off with the perspective, oh, if you've got nothing to hide, what are they ashamed of? Mm. You know, you know, we've got to be safe. you got to be secure. This, that. Or Is this, that how you started off? Yeah. Most a lot of people. I mean, look, I did. I don't know about other people. And then it's so horrible that it takes like misfortune to come upon yourself for a your change of perspective. Kind of like Dick Cheney supports marriage equality because his daughter's lesbian. Like you know what I mean? Like mm. all these things that yeah, like it's almost it's it's so tragic that you, you kind of only start caring about the rights of others once it kind of
0: you can relate to it yourself and it fringes on you. I think it's called a, a lack of empathy, and it's something that we look for here at Porta Force. Oh, good, good. This mm.
1: helps me. This is helping me. Okay.
2: Yeah, we'll get you in the in the books with Dutton.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. mate, Dutton, Mister. Look. The thing about Dutton, is just such an impressive bloke, you know, like the charisma it just kind of rushes <laughs> off him. You know? He's just the kind of guy you want to hang out with and have a beer with.
2: Don, can I see you for a moment? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sorry. Um, we've got strict orders that anyone who makes a sarcastic comment against Dutton um, gets immediate. Um, I know, thrown the special in the, room. In the special room. It
0: is tricky, though, because it's hard not to laugh. I mean, I know we're working for Border Force these mm. days, but he's it, very funny. He does look like a potato. He
2: really does. Yeah.
0: Okay. I think let's let that one slide because we were sniggering a bit too and they'll look bad if uh, yeah, we don't want recordings. to record it yeah. but next time Sam look just in the same way that you don't joke about um, border security in the US we don't joke about Peter Dutton and vegetables here at, um, <laughs> in <the interrogation. laughs> well, that's,
1: that's most of my materials now go on. I, had, I was going to get to the sex jokes and now they're all gone too what is your favourite food? oh well funny you should ask that um, a halal snack pack burum uh, ching yeah I know I know I've, I've been writing that one for a while now there is something so incredible about this Australian multicultural story that we don't talk about properly. And things like the Halal snack back and that were ways that you could actually talk about multiculturalism in a way that's kind of real and accessible, right? I mean, a yeah. lot of people stop listening when they hear that word. So no, 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 you're wrong. The haters start listening, right? Like the shit I cop, right? The people who kind of start writing in the tweets and the this and that, like the nutbag right-wingers that go crazy about this stuff. Because Halal's a code word. Hey, you can't say, I don't like muzzos. You just can't say that. I mean, you, you can because you're a border force, but no one else can say things like that, right? We can't say, you know, we hate Muslims with this and that. So you say things like, oh, you know, I'm worried about halal certification. Mm. You can't say, I don't want a mosque in my suburb because tall heads will visit it. Mm. Uh, you say things like, I'm worried about
0: the parking. <laughs> But, um, so you've gone as far as to get the book Halal Certified. I did. Is, it, it, and now it, the people it, you who- You don't mind, um, having a bit of fun with your detractors though, do you? No, they're going to go nuts. So the
1: people who actually certified it, it was the Halal Certification Authority of Australia. And so does a portion
2: of that book go to fund terrorism? Uh, that, unfortunately, that
1: none of it. I know I stuffed up. Mm. So they didn't, they wouldn't take money off me, um, uh, which is surprising because I was going to, uh, I thought they might take some r and that, that was a China joke, by mm. the way, guys. Does well, that,
2: actually, they, that gets to the next question, which is what is your annual salary?
1: Uh, Oh, oh, God, what do we get paid for an apartment? It's about 200K.
2: And is that in Australian
1: dollars or... Remember? Oh, what do we do? Well, that'd be about a million in RMB, I think it would be. Isn't it about five to one? I'm not that you guys would know that, but... so well, no, oh, it, it is. It is. is. It's a fixed <laughs> currency. It's so, a fixed currency. This is kind of fear that permeates throughout Canberra at the moment, right? And everyone is trained to say nothing. You're trained. I mean, normal people don't get up and say, oh, look, I have been advised that, mm. you know, this and that. And you ask yourself, so why are they do all that? Because... it's it's so being kicked out of them. And what I tried to do in this book, you know, in One Halal, was just give an honest take of just the insanity of this modern politics.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, it's interesting because reading the book, it is a very, it's breathtakingly open at times. Um, Did you have in the back of your mind that this might actually trip you up in years to
1: come? It probably will. I'm working on the assumption that I'm going to get tripped up all the time anyway. You're you're an ambitious
2: man, Sam.
1: Yeah, but you've got to just let it ride. Like, you've got to roll with it, right? Like, it's just, I'm over. Honestly, I'm just over, and maybe it's probably going to end up hurting me in the long run. I'm sure it will. It already has. But I'm over the kind of scripted. I'm over just faking it. I'm over the whole pretending. You are what you are. I am massively flawed. You know, I go through the book about, you know, my, you know, the I talk about, you know, drugs, I talk about uh, politics, I talk about, you know, scandals, all this stuff. You, at some point in life, you just have to accept you are who you are and people are going to take you or leave you. But you're
0: better off just being who you are than just faking it. I've got to say, that is a brilliant new script you've got there, Sam. No, mm. but in all honesty, it is <laughs> He's actually
2: reading. He's reading.
0: <laughs> yeah. When I When I saw someone like Julia Gillard, I remember her press conferences, were quite extraordinary. She would she would give the most dull speeches, full of um, the same stock phrases. Uh, what was the one? Moving forward, a million, a million times. And then in the press conference, she relaxed. Right. As in getting getting barraged by the press was somehow more fun for her and easier than having to read this speech and smile. And uh, do you really is that the media's fault or is that politicians' fault? Uh, How uh, well, did this Well, I think the system feeds itself, right? But it's also what gets rewarded,
1: right? You know, and again, like people always say this, and they go, oh. You know, and Julia was a great example of this. Julia is so good on, you know, Julia is so good on one-on-one and small groups and you put a camera on her and she freezes up and it's not, it's all true, she did, right? Because she was just gotten kicked so much that your defense mechanisms go up and you become so protective and so everything gets so scripted, you're so, such a fear of making a mistake and the system does that to you, right? Uh, and you know, every once in a while you get a Trump or someone who's just so out there that, you know, doesn't think, but look, I mean, I knew Julia really well, I knew Kevin a lot better, I mean, am one of the few people who actually still likes Kevin, you know, Um uh, Kevin is the most, I I think Kevin remains one of the most fascinating people ever, ever
2: to have met. According to our information, you're actually the only person who still <laughs> likes Kevin.
1: Can I tell you a thing about Kevin, right? And this is when I, I learned, this is when I understood. I got along with Kevin because I understood Kevin. Kevin is three separate people occupying one body. Right? That's the thing, key with Kevin. You know, he, so, he is a bit fat nowadays, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, there's Kevin the Charmer, the most charismatic, funny, likeable, nice person imaginable. Then there's Kevin the Policy Wonk, the smartest guy in the room, unfortunately, to tell you he was the smartest guy in the room. And then there was Kevin the Ruler, when Kevin needed to know you, you know, wanted to tell you he was boss, who could be the toughest, biggest asshole imaginable. Kevin was all three of those people at once, and you know, like that with a click of your finger who go
0: from one to the other. That which, was Kevin. Which one did you like the most? I kind of liked the ruler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Um, uh, Kevin the Charm was fantastic. Like, you know, Kevin was funny. He was likeable. all these things. But there was never one Kevin. And the problem with Kevin was, and I think it remains, you know, I don't know at the end of it whether or not I ever saw a day where Kevin was happy. And you always got that sense that in him, there was this kind of like longing that if I get one more election win, if I do this and that, you know, I know he felt that if he becomes opposition leader, then finally it'll be okay. And it doesn't, doesn't happen. Then it's like, if I win the 2007 election, it'll be fine. If I do, you know, always kind of the next thing and then they'll finally love me. And I don't know, there's a sadness to that, which I find, I think his appeal, to be honest, as much as there was one, was that he was so, um, Desperate to be loved And people could see that And that vulnerability I think was quite appealing For people But do you
2: think To actually be A top class politician You've also got to then Lose that desire to be loved That perhaps That actually That was the undoing Of Kevin Rudd And that For you to grow As a politician
1: Um, You've
2: got to stop Wanting everyone To like you so much
1: No I mean I'm not sure That's necessarily The right lesson From a right So you take, and again, I'm going to make some big examples here that are, that are probably be broader than that. I don't think Hawkey ever stopped wanting to be loved. I don't think Bill Clinton ever stopped, and he was doing it one at a time. In many senses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with Bill Clinton. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, he just, you know, so he just he wanted everyone in the office to love him too.
2: But didn't, uh, weren't those the things that sort of brought both of those men down?
0: Well, I don't know if it brought Hawkey down, to be honest. You know, was, some would Ken- say it raised him up. What's happiness for you in politics? What happiness are you are you looking towards?
1: Yeah, that's actually a really, really good question. So, I mean, there is something incredibly selfish about people going to professional politics. Incredibly selfish, right? And they justify it to themselves in terms of selflessness. And, and it's true, they do. They care about the issues. They're passionate about it. They believe in it. I care about, you know, social justice, equality, and all, I, I do, right? But okay, then why do I go into politics? And why not go and work for an NGO or work for a charity or go, you know, Reverend Bill Cruz, who I do some work with, you know, why isn't that what you do? Why go into po- politics, right? And there is something about the people in politics, frankly, who need to be loved, right? Who need that public adulation. I think it's not the only driver in politics, but I think you'd be fairly foolish and naive to pretend that it's not part of it because this isn't normal. This isn't a normal lifestyle. It's not normal to need to have that kind of public adulation of everything you do. Um, and people get involved for the right reasons. Uh, they do good things when they're there. But I think we'll be kidding ourselves to think that there isn't a sense of narcissism in politics. And the bit that really shows it is what happens to your family. right? I mean, you know, there's that kind of The lame line everyone will use is, oh, you know, your family doesn't ask for it, and they don't. That's all true, right? But at the end of the day, you are asking for levels of sacrifice from everyone else around you that no other profession really does. Like, no other profession demands that, hey, baby, you know, to my wife, every once in a while, there may be cameras parked in front of our house when I've done something shitty or stupid, you know? And that's just part of it. And what does your wife think? Helen, oh, Helen hates it hates it, hates it. She would be so happy for me to get out of politics. So happy. we, might. The, we might be able to make that happen depending <laughs> on how the, <yeah. laughs> yeah, the conversation goes. And, and but, but but then you ask yourself, okay, then why don't you? Why don't I? I mean I don't know the answer to this, right? this is the kind of thing, right? Because why? Because you're this ethnic boy in Sydney who uh, I am not there's all these people around politics who come and see me all the time. When I used to on the Labour Party, when I used to be the general secretary, which is like the head honcho kind of
0: organizational we yeah, like on, in Russia, the General Secretary was the boss, we know. We pretty know. much, pretty boy, much. Oh, uh, the USSR. Uh, thank yeah.
1: you for not going to China, but yes. Um, um, but yeah, the General Secretary General. Um, and people used to come to me all the time. And occasional athletes and, you know, people with, you know, movie people and people with backgrounds, this and that. Really impressive people come to you and go, look, I'm interested in running for parliament. And you feel like saying, what the fuck do you want to do that for? Right? Like, you know, like you have the paradox of choice. Right, you can be famous and loved. Right, you can be a celebrity. You can do good. You can do this and that. For people like myself, right, I'm a, I was born in a run. I'm an inner city walk from Sydney. This is the best thing I can do. It's not like there's all these other kind of options. Like no one's going to give me a breakfast radio show in Sydney yet. Um, so <laughs> until I can reach those lofty heights, I'm stuck here. Yeah, they're not going to give us that
2: either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of Hollywood for ugly people. Oh, thanks. They're Like politics.
0: Charles comes from a family of
2: politics. Yeah, um, yeah, I
0: know, I know, I know. Now, if I were advertising on this podcast, I think this is the note at which I'd love my ad to appear.
2: Advertiser-friendly as. But, but does your wife at least understand yeah, why yeah. you do it? Like, yeah, but it's almost worse some... when they
1: understand, right? In a weird way. So, Helen's, um, you know, Helen's uh, father uh, used to run Hawke's office, so she's been around politics her whole life. Mm. And so she's seen it all. And in a weird way, uh, I mean, that's both good and bad. So nothing fails and nothing excites her. Right? It's not like, oh, my God, look, we're going to, you know, the lodge or whatever for, you mm. know, they were oh, just a kid, like, you know, many times. You know, I mean? So those things, on one level, that's very, very good and one level, it's very And, but sometimes, like, I'll come home and I'll have this, like, political story and she'll just look at me and go, oh, who gives a fuck? So, so many people who
2: go to Canberra end up having an affairs. Like, there's just, it's such a lonely place. You actually say in your book, you know, it's the loneliest place, the crowded building
1: um, have you ever had an affair? Uh, no, no one would sleep with me most of the time. Mm. I think it's, you know, it's, it's it but, works both ways. But you must, you must witness that. Uh, oh, look, I mean, other people's lives are other people's lives. That's the best answer I'm mm. going to give up. No, no. But yeah, the, of course, the, there's loads of a it camera, co- of course. Yeah. Right? But does Until- that, does that disgust you a bit? Um, Oh no, not really. To be honest, because I mean, who am I to start judging other people's like private lives and stuff? Even even when it's hypocritical, they they the hypocrisy is what shits me, right? No, that's true. The the, and the the worst is the hypocrisy on drugs, by the way. I won't talk about that in a sec, right? But the hypocrisy of uh, of it is the bit that bothers you. Beyond that, part of also what happens is right. A lot of the parliamentarians, a lot of these people, I mean, they weren't as cool as we were, right? (laughs) You know, they're not as cool as us. And they of course, losers or, you know, this and that, especially on the conservative side of politics. I'm going to be honest with you, right? Conservative side of politics is a little bit like, you know, I think um, are, are others. So they go to Canberra and all of a sudden they're cool. All of a sudden, at the bar and all these bureaucrats and people know them and people are buying them drinks and there's young men and young women who are interested in them and all these attractive people. And they're kind of like, they're politician famous, which means nothing in anywhere but about seven bars in Canberra, which are the only seven (laughs) bars that they ever end up hanging out at, right? So, all of a sudden, a lot of them, to be honest, don't know how to deal with a lot of that, right? They've never been, they weren't weren't cool in school. I mean, I don't don't know if your claim to fame for going to Parliament was the Young Liberal Movement, I mean, knowing you as cool as Young Labor, like I was, but if your, <laughs> your claim to fame is the Young Liberal Movement, nobody was screwing you in high in university, right? You were, you were, and so now it's like their chance to let loose in their, uh, you know, in their early thirties as they kind of, you know, um, uh, as they kind of go go to Canberra. But you know, so the bit I don't begrudge anyone's private lives. Mm. Each their own. You know, people have complicated lives, complicated families, divorces, you, know, uh, you know, difficult for a lot of people, and, you know, wish them all the best. The hypocrisy, yeah,
2: shits me. Would you be prepared to just give us a list uh, of people who've had affairs just for blackmail purposes, for, for border force, as a patriotic act? I'll tell out. you, a
1: perhaps wear
0: a I'd wire, say, yeah, some of the, those bars. I'd
1: say the better story now. When, so a couple of years back, they started this new security procedures in parliament for yeah. staff and for, like, ministerial advices, right? And I'm th- pretty sure either Faulkner or John, L- John Ludwig were the kind of special minister of state. So Parliament House had all these kind of background checks they started doing for staff, which, as Lee Rhiannon pointed out, if she was a staffer, she would never have got a pass, right? Like, you know, and parliamentarians were automatically exempt because... You know, I think they, a lot they, of her colleagues like, don't want her to get a yeah, pass. Yeah, that's right. Now, that's, right. That's, right. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But so they started this procedure where they started, and there was one of the forms, they were trying to work out who is susceptible to blackmail or whatnot or this or that. And one of the questions was, oh, you know, who have you slept with and this and that and blah, blah, blah. That's a, it, people, Some people told the truth, some people lied. And then some people who lied suddenly had someone who told the truth and they called them back in. They said, Oh, the person, someone claims they slept with you and this and that. And so, they to, so then it starts fessing up, but they maybe have fess up about someone different. The whole thing went nuts, right? The whole thing So went, we need to talk to John Faulkner, the Charles. The whole thing went crazy. And after a while it just ended up getting just slowly kind of slipping away because there's a whole kind of insanity of trying to work out because look, to be honest, there's no you know, if you try to like do you guys remember Noodle Nation, right? Like if you went to a flowchart of, you know, staffing in Canberra, of people in their mid-20s, many of whom are single or become single after they go to Canberra, and who slept with who, but you're there for a month, right? Like, you just, there's this graph is kind of, you know, you need like a three-dimensional kind of, like, kind of, you know,
0: um, Star Warsy kind of thing just to kind of work it out. So, it's a strange, it is a strange bubble, and you've mentioned, Sam, that you think in that bubble, you know, there's not a lot of straight talk, <laughs> but there's... Um, you seem, to, fake you seem to want to this have fake straight one foot in, in that world being the player that you are in that system, but also remain firmly rooted in where you come from and, and telling it like it is. I want what both else? feet in that world. Yeah. I just want that world to love me and it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you want to change about the system? I mean, um, you, but You've been talking about donations, reform, but yeah. what are the big things that need to change to make the system I mean, work better? Yeah. Okay. Um, look, and uh, touching on that, the other bit that, that is, is,
1: is, is the hypocrisy. I mean, there is the real hypocrisy there. Nowhere is the hypocrisy worse than when it's on drugs. I mean, nowhere is it worse than it's on drugs. And what I mean by that is, I'm not, no, they're not doing coke in Parliament House toilets, right? Or not with me anyway. (laughs) But it's not that. Right, but you get these kind of politicians who turn around and they go, oh, well, you know, you can drug test me whenever you want. Yeah, of course, because you're 55 and you have 30-year-old children. And, you know, this like, where were you 30 years ago? You know, like, this is the bit that shits me about it all, right? You know, oh, you should lose a, You know, people's actual life experiences and what they now do are so different. right? And by the way, not to mention the sheer amount of alcohol in that place. Mm. And also, honestly, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think we don't talk about it enough meds. Right, like pharmaceuticals, you know, like yeah, of course, there's huge is amounts. Is that of, how
0: they work? Those long hours. I've wondered for years. Huge amounts of mental
1: health issues in a place like Parliament. Of mm-hmm. course it is. I mean, people away from home, the nature of the work, the type of people that are attracted to it, you know, uh, people who are, you know, the the extrovert nature of a lot of parliamentarians comes with a flip side of long down periods as well. You know, I think, uh, you know, you're dealing with, um, and I don't think it's a, it's the nature of I think politics anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. The kind of people that are attracted to it, highly strung, highly motivated, high, a lot of them incredibly intelligent, incredibly successful, some of them, you know, uh, you know, again, I don't approach them on that, but all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, but, you know, if you get done with marijuana three times, you should be to jail, and, you know, you should have sniffer dogs in clubs, and you should, you know, and you should get cut off welfare, and they're and like saying, well, hang on, your life experiences and their life experiences don't even remotely correlate with what you're now saying, right? And, yeah, I'm sorry, but if you're a rich, white kid from the eastern suburbs of Sydney you are not currently going to go to jail for marijuana. You just won't. Right? You won't get in jail for cocaine, right? a small amount, this and that. You know, someone will get you off. You'll get a good lawyer. You'll get a Section 10 and all this If you're an Indigenous kid in you know, Western New South Wales, when they actually stop you, they actually test you, right? You actually think, and you know, you may have twice earlier in life have driven without a driver's license. You might have an unregistered car. You might have had uh, a drunken disturbance
0: at one point. All of a sudden you're doing three to five years jail. So can you make your side of politics more honest about this stuff? Do you think, is that something you could contribute? I hope so. Head? I hope so. I mean, you know, we'll see if my,
1: you know, wait till see the reaction from this book. So I don't know if they'll be talking to me, but but um, I, I think so. I think we've got this. F- and you know, and it's changing too, because how people consume politics is changing. So, on one level, in politics, we're like, driven to do this kind of—we want command and control structures, we want command and control messaging, we want this and that. And the reality is, everyone wants the exact opposite. And the appeal of people like Trump uh, is—you know—they are what they are. Uh, I, I think Hanson's just a complete—I mean think—I think she's think a fascist. I believe she's a fascist,
0: um, but uh, but she's a fraud. There's faux. Donald Hanson couldn't make. Trains run on time surely could she
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a with the blood and sweat of others uh, I don't know she's probably too busy hiring a family but um, there is a hate there that there's uh, a hate in Pauline Hanson which is is, she, is she dumb n- n- yes and no so he was to I don't think she's, she's definitely street smart I mean she's been mm. in politics for 20 years right she's, very, she's done very, time she's done time Right? she knows her constituents she knows her people she's very very street smart at the same time I don't think she's intellectually very bright no
0: mm.
1: I mean she's no Malcolm Roberts and I, I think what I say in one hell of a story and I talk about this a bit is we kind of allow some of this language to go by and we pretend like it's all okay and, and the misuse of the term freedom of speech just shits me to know what right like you know the whole idea that it's okay to have these extreme views and this no, yeah I mean and like freedom of speech that we talk about like it's not a debating side these are real people real lives real decisions get made and people believe a lot of this stuff and you know, uh, there is a flip side. I mean, the Senate at the moment is the, the you know, bar scene in Star Wars, right? I mean, it just <laughs> gets weirder and weirder. Um, and, but then you've got, you take that, like, someone like David Lionhelm. Right like, now, David Lionhelm. looking Lineham, relatively stable, actually. Mate, David Lionhelm is like the sanest bloke there is. I mean, he called me up the other day, actually, and he said to me, Oh, mate, do you want to, I need a favor? Do you want to do a day with me on marijuana in Newtown? I said, yeah, I'll do a day with a libertarian marijuana in Newtown. Well, on, on marijuana. On marijuana. Well, no, it turned out do to be a to Senate this? inquiry. <laughs> turned into a Senate inquiry, which was a real disappointment. Mind you, I think at that Senate inquiry, as I said to him, because of the witnesses that he had, I said, you and I are the two, only two people who aren't stoned right now. And he uh, and he looked at me, and he goes, never speak for others. <laughs> Don, can I see you? Sure. What?
2: Did you hear that?
0: We've got dirt on David Lionhill. That's... That's blackmail material. Charles, I don't think it's a secret that David Lionhelm smokes a dope. What,
2: he's stoned and he's
0: still that much of a cock? Oh, Charles, you don't want to meet him sober. He's worse than duddo I'm interested, Sam, because the book alternates between what life was like for your family in Iran and why your parents came to Australia and the incredible life or death moments that are experienced, these... these tiny little things that make a difference between being carted off and killed by revolutionary guards, but tortured versus coming to Australia. And then now you spend your days down this weird kind of rabbit hole where, okay, all this stuff stuff sort of matters, but do you ever get the sense that in Australian politics, most people in the system from the leaders to the voters don't even realise they're born? The sort of things we're wrestling with now are so completely spoilt in a way compared to where you came from. Well, the most important day in in my life is the 26th of
1: September um, uh, um, 1981, which is actually two years before I was born, which is the day my mother wasn't executed. You know, it was the day my father's best friend was. And my mother gets dragged in to uh, prison. They were politically active people in the revolution in Iran in 79, student activists, kind of just lefty students, pro-democracy, you know, very kind of vague idea of what it all meant, but they were kind of young lefties, not that dissimilar to, I assume, a lot of people in Tahrir Square and a few other places, you know, when there was the, those revolutions going on. And uh, it was post-the-revolution when they really started liquidating, and that was the day my mother, when she wasn't executed, uh, and, and was able to get away, and, and their best friend wasn't, that she goes, this is going to change. And they moved to my mother's small town in northern Iran, they started living a much quieter life, that's when they decided they were going to have me, my sister was already born. And, uh, and that's when they decided we've got to find a way to get out of this country. And, you know, a few years later, January 1988, you know, before I turned five, we showed up two weeks before the Vice Center in Australia. And you kind of correlate that with my life experience here in politics. So going back September last year, you know, I get myself caught up in a scandal. I'm resigning from the Labour Party front bench. And I am like, you don't understand how down I am at this point in time, right? Like I'm, you know... You know, depressed.
0: You know, terrible, humiliated. All those horrible things. We yeah, right? went from being the bright young star to, to being in a bit of disgrace, didn't you? Yes, of course. And you do that, and and you know what happens. And and your
2: distress was so visible on screen as well.
1: Well, it goes. You go from like I say that. The speed at which it all happens, it goes from like this like breeze to a cyclone, right? In a moment of hours, you know, the speed at which it hits you. Modern politics is so fast. The Twitter, the Facebook, the news, the updates. What would otherwise have been four weeks is a week, right? But the speed it hits you at is just so hard. And it goes quickly too. It just comes and goes. Like this you know. cyclone kind of comes through or, you know, tornado kind of comes through, rips apart your life and then kind of moves on. And I'm talking to my mother and I go to her this and that. She goes, ah, oh, look, 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 you know, look if this was Iran, they probably have hung you by now. (laughs) That's it, you know, like, what do you, so what? Like, you know, perspective. Perspective, right? Mm. Like, you know, everyone used to get shot, right? You know, whenever whenever something bad happened, everyone would just get shot, right? So, you know, what are you complaining about?
2: Well, I think actually Peter Dutton is looking into that method. This is a new policy.
1: That's right, that's
2: right. Um, So what did happen? Why did you accept that Chinese money?
1: Well, no, no, I didn't accept it. I, I asked for it, let's be clear. That's even worse. To be honest, and I wish I had a better reason than this, I had an office bill. It was an office bill for an office travel over expense and I treated it like I would have treated a campaign bill back when I used to be the Labour Party secretary. I raised the money, I paid it, I declared it. Um, But that was for something that was seen as probably too personal. I think fundamentally um, I was way too close to the donors and when your relationships get that close, you, you don't even think. I think the bit that at the end of it, so, so how, do, how
2: does it work? Like, Do you have people on speed dial who you can ring up and say, hey, can you throw me $13,000? And they say
1: yes. Uh, you have donors that you know quite well who have donated quite heavily to the Labor Party and you call them up normally and say, hey, at this election, blah, blah, we're putting on your fundraising dinner, would you buy a table? Would you do this? Would you do that? I mean, it's yeah. a little bit more sophisticated than what you're saying, but essentially yeah. but what I remember is this. When I'm going through a center, I get this call from Bill Shorten. And Bill just fucking goes nuts on the phone to me, right? Like, rips me a new one like you would not believe. Like, I mean,
2: I, I would love to say that side of
1: Bill Shorten. You know, he and seems like, so dispassionate. No, no, I think we've
2: got it on tape, Dom. <laughs> <actually?
1: laughs> oh, yeah, good. But no, no. But, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, like, like Bill can swear, right? You know, and that's not a bad thing. I think that makes him very Aussie. And goes to me, goes, mate, the bit that I'm so angry about, I'm so angry about in all this, is you're not a politically naive you know, kind of person in this and that goes, you used to run the New South Wales right at the Labour Party machine, right? You've been around politics your entire life. What on earth were you thinking? And the truth was, and, you know, I wish there were better answers than this. Unfortunately, there isn't. I wasn't really thinking, you're just moving, right? You move so fast that you're just about what's next. Bang, there's a bill, oh, you get someone to pay that, what's next, you know? And I probably would have spent maybe five minutes thinking about this whole thing before you just move on and the speed at which you move on. Uh, And if there's anything that comes out of all this in terms of, refl- I'm not into self-reflection. I'm running into long periods of self-reflection. Sometimes, you know, self-reflection gets forced upon you. And uh, if there's anything that's going to come out of all of this, I think it's that like realizing, okay, how do you slow down but also not become shit and boring? Like how do you not lose that sense of fun and adventure but also
0: think before you act a bit more?
1: And I don't know, that's the balance, you know, not perfect, I'm never going to be
0: perfect. Well, next term of the Labour government, yep. assuming you're heavily involved in it, what do you want to do? What's the one thing well, top I think, priority? Well at the moment, and this is why
1: I think is a good thing, is having Bill talk about inequality. Having last year we talked about housing, you know, affordability and things like negative gearing inequality. I see where we stuffed up, and I think the Libs have stuffed up as well. Howard was so amazingly good a politician. He was I, I believe probably the best politician in this country's seen in, you know, in half a century. Um, why? Because he not only dominated the conservative side of politics He dominated the Labour Party as well And if you're in the left of politics It was actually really easy in 2007 Because you knew what you wanted to be You didn't want to be Howard So we're just not him You know He won't, he won't ratify Kyoto We'll ratify Kyoto He's bad on refugees We'll be good on refugees We don't know what we meant We kind of said We'll be good on refugees He's bad on refugees Right? You know He won't say sorry We'll say sorry And we define so many he, he, His sports work choices We oppose it We define so much of ourselves on him We get to the election We win and there's just like this moment, right? And I don't know if you've ever watched this Robert Redford movie in the like 80s called The Candidate. It's all about this Senate campaign. I love it, right? And the last Senate Senate campaign it's like, unlikely senator kind of gets elected. And he turns to his campaign director and goes, well, what do I do now? Right? And almost felt in 2007 when we won the election and Kevin gets up and he gives his speech and he talks about, you know, everyone has a Bex and a lie down or an Ice survival or something. Right? We
0: all thought that. So I'm glad to hear that as an insider, you and thought, then we, thought that and as then, well.
1: And then we hear that and we go
0: the fuck We've is it got an this agenda about? of work to prosecute and then we turn around and we go and we're going to do we have a
1: the 2020 summit well we better come up with some ideas okay and so i think we did amazing things in government right but why do we do Gonski and NDIS at the end, not at the start? Now, hopefully, and then the Libs are the same thing, by the way, right? Abbott and these guys are, you know, they were so obsessed with getting rid of, you know, the you know, Rudd-Gillard years and this mm. and that. So they're going with a policy agenda of, you know, um, we're going to get rid of the carbon tax, get rid of the mining tax, get rid of Labor's border policies, get rid of this, get rid of that. They get elected. They do all that. Then it gets the first budget, in 2014, and Abbott does all that kind of mean, tricky stuff. Starts cutting money to schools, ABC, you know, um, uh, you know, health, everything, and everyone's like, "Hang on, where did this come from?" Right? Because no case was made. Now, the, the, the IPA is the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, even the IPA at least makes the case. See, The thing I got time for the IPA, that's hard right wings, is at least they're ideologically pure about it, or you know, like they make their case. What we're trying to do at the moment, and this is the big risk of Bill, right, is there is this internal voice in everyone's senior and land party that will be saying this right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let them fuck it up. Right? Don't do it. Just be quiet. Just be small quiet. Small target. Small target. Mm-hmm. Small target. It doesn't work, right? So at the same time, if they're tearing themselves apart, Bill goes, all right, well, now's our chance to do some stuff on inequality. Last year, we said we're going to go big on negative gearing. And you know now negative gearing is seen as like his great masterstroke. But at the time, it was really contagious policy, right? Because you're effectively telling ethnics in Sydney, hey, you know, you didn't invest in superannuation, you invested in property, right? Um, uh, but we're going to get rid of that system now, and it won't be retrospective. But suddenly you start, second you have to start explaining to people about retrospectivity won't affect you, but affect in the future. I don't know I mean. You've lost people. These are really hard arguments to make. And it, we will do well if we use this opportunity and this time now to have an agenda. And that's what we're doing. And and how does it play with the focus groups? The beach. And, and your parents
2: were here essentially because they were refugees, um, you know. Uh,
1: yeah, and my, my grandparents and, got refugee status. Uh, yeah. We came on a family reunion, um, not because we weren't refugees, but because it was just easier to apply into that process. But does that make you want
2: um, to make it easier for other, like Reza Barati? Yeah, of course. How does it um, not? How does it know? not?
1: Like Reza Barati, who was murdered in Manus, was born five hours drive from where I was born, right? What was different in our stories? I mean, everyone's story is a little bit different, but not that different. What was different was a long period of time and how we arrived. We came on a plane. He obviously tried to come by boat. Uh, We came in the late 80s. He came in the 2000s, right? And he got murdered in Manus Island. And I got to sit in an Australian Senate and make jokes about kebabs.
2: So what you are saying <laughs> is that the Labor Party
0: is soft on refugees. <laughs> Sam, it's been fascinating hearing about how much you love refugees. Um,
1: <laughs> I only love that at Border Force.
0: Now, ordinarily, we'd be very concerned about your book and the seditious language contained, the language of compassion and, and nuance. Um, but we, we read the polls too. We know that's all that matters in Australia. So what we're going to do is uh, say, well done, and we'll keep in touch. Um, let's just say that if... If the coalition win the next election, you'll be seeing a lot more of us.
1: Um, is what you're frankly saying is that you're gonna, you're watching me?
0: We're always watching you.
1: See, that is like a wet dream for a politician. The idea that someone's watching them. Is that something you're always watching me? Always. See, see, most people will be scared by that. That, that, that excites me a little. Can we, can we go for a drink? And a halal snack pack. And
0: a halal snack back. The, the, the drink won't be halal, right? Thank you, Sam. The book is one halal of a story. Extreme Vetting is recorded in the studios of Podcast One, written, presented and edited by Charles Firth and Dom Knight. The show is produced by Alex Mitchell, audio production by Nick Slater. The executive producer is Jamie Show. And to get in touch with us or for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One
2: app. And remember... No one is safe.